theatrical shenanigans with Robert J. LeBlanc. Hello and welcome to another episode of Theatrical Shenanigans. I hope you're all well out there wherever you're listening. For those who've been with us since the beginning, I know you're probably very aware of the format by now, but for any newbies out there, I'm Rachel Feeney-Williams, an independent playwright for about 12 years or so now, and every fortnight I bring to life a script as an audio play written by playwrights all over the world, and then I sit and have a lovely little chat with a guest. My guest this week has been performing and writing various media since the 90s. He is is a man who has an incredible list of skills that will be quite exhausting to read. He is Robert LeBlanc. Hello, Robert. Hi. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. It's incredible to have you here. I'm really excited to be on. I love this. (laughs) So as I said uh, to start, you have an amazing list of skills, projects, things you have done, but... Obviously, first things first, what was your beginning? What brought you into the arts world? I started really because I was just drawn to storytelling. Hmm. Um, I wrote my first play when I was 12 years old. I started making videos and movies and writing for my videos and movies when uh, I was around 13, had my first professionally produced show at 17 Became a professional actor at 17, (laughs) um, started writing for the stage in a professional capacity when I was 18, 19, and then from there to comedy writing, stand-up, sketch, uh, playwriting of a professional playwright. I, You know, what I loved about the arts in general and getting into the arts is you can't fail. It is the easiest and safest place to create, Mm. right? Because the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to bomb. Who Mm. cares, right? Learn from the reasons why, change it, and just do it again, right? It's like pizza, right? Even (laughs) bad pizza is still pretty good. And when it comes to theater and performing and writing, you always have that sense of ensemble to fall back with even as a playwright Hmm. right what's brilliant as a playwright is you're literally the first step Hmm. I always call myself just the playwright because really my vision and job is done the (laughs) second I type end of play so do you know there is a stereotype obviously as playwrights that we get very precious about oh I'm precious with nothing (laughs) So it's not your baby. You're not like, no, you can't do this to it. (laughs) Well, nothing they do will change what I wrote. No, that is true. Um, But I say the the list that goes alongside your career is just incredible. I mean, I I read your or just your bio on You Play Exchange, and I was like, this is exhausting. This list is just it never ends. (laughs) Try living it. (laughs) (laughs) I yeah I um. I do a lot, but I love what I do, and I have such an amazing ensemble that I get to work with. I I am lucky to be able to do what I do with the people that I do it with. But you are the creator of your own live radio show and a podcast, and that's just, you know, mind-blowing to me. I feel quite in awe, you know, sat here with my little podcast on episode three of season one. It's a bit like, yeah. I mean, how did you kind of venture into that? stream as it were i suppose uh 
so I was a podcast producer prior to the pandemic for my job. Mm. Um, I have always put myself in a position to say yes and then figure out how to accomplish what I need to accomplish. <laughs> but oh, I mean, your experience is, is is vast and amazing. There's no two ways about it. But I mean, I dare ask this. Do you have a favorite moment or project that kind of sticks in your mind? I, as creatives, I wonder whether we should ever ask that question. It's like choosing between your children. <laughs> well, no, because you're talking about not necessarily project, but moments that surround a given creation. Mm. And yes, I do. Mm -hmm. um, 2019 at the Crowbait Club, we were given the topic of luck. And uh, about four or five years earlier, I had an experience with my grandmother who was suffering from dementia. I gave her a ride to Maine and she kind of started to time travel. <laughs> you know, at the early part of the trip, it was 1940 something. And we were just coming home from a USO dance. <laughs> and I got to experience this side of my grandmother that I wouldn't have ever been able to experience. Mm. and I knew that I had to I I couldn't be alone in this no. so I wrote a show called Familiar mm. which is about a son getting to experience a side of his father with dementia that he'd never really noticed before mm. it's early onset dementia his father's kind of time traveling jumping here and there and there are parts that are sad because it is sad and it's okay to have that truth and sadness. Mm. There are parts that are funny because we're humans. It's how we cope with trauma. Mm. Um, so I wrote it. It went out. It did fairly well. But the number of people who've come to me after saying that it touched them mm. in some way, whether it's either private messages or coming up to me after a show or letters mm. that means a lot to me because it it shows that i'm not alone in that experience but it also allows me to help them yeah no i say it, it definitely to me sticks out as, a, as an amazing moment and then follow-on moments as a result of that um, yeah. if you can stand there saying my work has had an effect, a profound effect on someone, then that's huge yeah. as a as a playwright. And as an ADHD playwright, I do not take compliments well at all. <laughs> like it makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um. But to me, that's a little bit different because it's not really a compliment. It's just sharing something that's. Mm close and personal and that's a gift yeah well now we move on to our playwright and play for this week christopher plumridge is a playwright who hails from east anglia uk and is a bit of a newbie to the playwriting scene however he has already produced several amazing plays as well as a series of monologues that have been turned into film and nominated for awards in my time of knowing chris as a playwright i know he likes to take a traditional idea and twist it which is exactly what he's done here in Coming In, Janet and Malcolm are preparing to welcome their son and his latest partner, Leslie, into their home. But things 
don't exactly go according to plan. Theatrical Shenanigans presents Coming In by Christopher Plumridge. Is all this really that necessary? Well, of course it is. We want to make a nice impression. But all these cakes must have cost a fortune, and there's far too many. There can never be too much. Just imagine if there wasn't enough. That wouldn't do at all. But 48 French fancies, really? They were on offer. Bog off. Pardon me? Buy one, get one free. Oh, I see. I think. I don't see why you're so concerned. If there's any leftover, you can have them for your tea tomorrow. But I don't even like French fancies. Or British ones come to that point. Pardon me? Oh, I've never liked them. The sponge is always too dry, and I hate the gooey bit on the top. I've been buying them for you for years. And I've hated them for years. Twenty-seven years of marriage... And you've never bothered to inform me of your dislike for French fancies. I never found the right time. Well, till now. Yes, until now. Why now of all days? Uh, we can discuss it later. Tom's due any minute. You will be polite, won't you? Of course. To his new partner, I mean. Why does everyone have to use the word partner all the time now? In our day, it was boyfriend, girlfriend... Husband, wife... Just modern times, old man. Yes, I will be on my best behaviour, old <laughs> lady. And this are your cheek. What's his latest one's name, then? It's Leslie. I've told you enough times. Oh, I forget. There's been so many. Isn't it time he settled down with one? Oh, leave him alone. It's up to Tom to find his own way. Sure he will. When he's ready. I didn't think much of his last one. Morgan, wasn't it? You only didn't like him because... Ah, that'll be the door. Promise to behave yourself. Scout's honour. <laughs> there you are, Tom. Oh, it's so good to see you. You must be Leslie. Well, well come on in. Uh, go through... Hi, Dad. Hi, son. How's it hanging? We don't say that anymore, Dad. Malcolm, this is Leslie. Leslie, this is Malcolm. Oh, I was expecting a Leslie. Yes, that's me. I, I mean a man, Leslie. Oh, I see. Don't worry, I get that all the time. Well, how do you mean? Leslie can be male or female. When I'm introduced as Dr. Leslie Forster, people automatically expect a man. Yes, I suppose so. Well, you're a doctor. Yes, Mrs. Dawson. Oh, oh, just Janet. No need to be formal. <laughs> Janet, I've uh, just recently qualified. I'm in paediatrics. Oh, you clever poppet. Poppet? Don't worry. Any chance of a drink? Oh, yes, we've got a nice pot of tea on the go. I was thinking of something stronger. Of course. 
I'll make you a coffee. Uh, Black, no sugar, because you're... Sweet enough as it is. Tom has his coffee like his men. <laughs> How do you mean, Malcolm? Well, you know. No. It's okay. I know about Tom and his past. We have no secrets. Well, Janet and I have no secrets. If I try to hold a secret, she can tell. And sure enough, she beats it out of me. <laughs> oh, bless. Is that your secret to a long marriage? Oh, one of many. What's mine is hers, and what's hers is hers is a good one. And never go to bed on an argument. Stay up and fight. <laughs> bless. <laughs> oh, will you have a cup of tea? Oh, no, thank you, Malcolm. Water is just fine. Oh, I don't blame you. It's been stewing for half an hour. Oh, <laughs> oh yuck. <laughs> there you go, my dear. Thank you, Malcolm. Do take a seat. Oh, no, not, not there. That's where I sit. Sorry. It's so nice to meet you both. And you, Leslie. Thanks for coming. Would you like a sandwich? We've got cucumber sandwiches, jam sandwiches, sandwiches with sandwich spread, because Malcolm loves sandwich spread in his sandwiches. There's ham sandwiches, cheese and tomato sandwiches. Oh, and scrambled egg sandwiches for Tom. Help yourself. Don't be polite. Thank you. It all looks so delicious. So... How did you two meet? We met at an LGBTQ rally in Brighton about a month ago, I think. Oh, I used to have one of them. Pardon me? Yes. 1969 model. British Racing Green. Oh, proper chrome bumpers. No, Dad. That was your MGBGT. This is very different. <laughs> I even took it on a rally to Brighton. From London, Crystal Palace, if memory serves me correctly. Um, 1984. No, Dad. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sorry about this. It's fine. He's sweet. He's anything but. Dad, it's not a car. We met at a rally in Brighton. A bit like a pride rally. Oh, I see. Um, what happened to Morgan? Dad, not now. It's okay, honestly. Morgan and I split up. We had our differences, shall we say. He moved out. Ah, oh, that's a shame. Malcolm! It's all right, Mum. I'm fully aware Dad didn't like him. Um, have another sandwich, dear. I'll try a sandwich spread sandwich. Haven't had that stuff in years. And help yourself, dear. Malcolm! What? You didn't pour Leslie a cup of tea. My God, woman! I thought the house was on fire. <laughs> it's okay, Janet. I'll just stick to water. I'm trying to detox. So no more Morgan? Who is it now, then? Malcolm, honestly. Dad, he's long gone. I'm with Leslie now. But Leslie is a lady. Yes, Dad. Leslie is my partner. Business partner? No, Dad. Partner. Girlfriend, if you prefer. Oh, I see. I think. But you're... You know, um... Surely... Gay? Yes. 
The thing is, Dad, Mum. Yes, Tom? It's all right. I'm here for you. Tom? Tom? Tom, go on. The thing is, Mum, Dad, I'm not gay. What do you mean, not gay? You've always been gay. No, I haven't. Not really. That, that's all right, Tom. We understand. Do we? Yes. Look, Mum and Dad, this isn't easy for me. Morgan leaving me, yes, he left me even though I didn't want him to. Well, it made me think. I finally realised... I've been barking up the wrong tree. Oh, don't worry, Tom. I've known all along. Eh? Yes, of course. A mother knows these things. Not gay. Are you quite sure? A hundred percent, Dad. And Leslie has helped me so much since we met. She's been an absolute godsend. I'm not sure what I think about this. With respect, Malcolm, it's irrelevant what you think. Tom isn't gay. He never really has been. Leslie is right, Malcolm. You have to accept it. Are you, Leslie? Dad! Am I what? Are you gay? I mean, are you a les... I'm a les, yes, as in Leslie. Actually, I'm bi. By what? I I'm sorry about this, Leslie. It's fine, Janet. Don't worry. I'm bisexual, Malcolm. Well, you can't have both. Why ever not? Well, because it's not right. I mean, can't you decide one way or another? <laughs> it's not that simple, Malcolm. Well, I'm sure it is. Believe me, Malcolm, it isn't. Many people struggle with their identity. Well, not in my day they didn't. <laughs> Malcolm, people have struggled with their sexual identity forever. It's only now that society allows us to discuss it. Well, I think it's strange. Well, it's not to me, Malcolm. I'm bisexual. I like cock and pussy. Oh, my word. Oh, I'm sorry, Janet. That just came out. Malcolm, I like boys and girls. But since meeting Tom, even my feelings have changed. Really? Yes. So, you're telling me Tom isn't gay? For heaven's sake, Malcolm! Your son is straight. Deal with it. Would you like a French fancy or ten? Oh, we have enough to feed the whole of France. Yes, please. I love them. Haven't had them since I was a child. We would have them at my nan's. Oh, I can't stand the bloody things myself. Have as many as you like. Well, thank you for telling us, Tom. Yes, well done. He's been stewing on it for over a week. Oh, you silly boy. You know you can talk to us about anything. Yes, sorry, Mum. But I knew Dad would be a harder nut to crack. You know what this means now? No. What? Grandchildren. Mum! Oh. <laughs> French fancy, anyone?
Well, I think I could do with a French fancy after that. That was Georgette Vale as Janet, Kerry Freighter as Malcolm, Dale Wilde as Tom, and Ellie Shields as Leslie in Coming In by Christopher Plumridge. So, what are your thoughts? So this piece to me is in a really interesting way to play on tropes. Mm. What I got from listening to it was it is a um, an examination of preconceived bias. Mm. But by changing how it's approached, it allows the audience to play with that notion a little bit more. Mm. I'm also intrigued to know your thoughts as, as obviously as an American on the I've had these described to me as Englishisms or Britishness. You know, it doesn't bother me because it's authentic. If the Britishisms fit, just like if the Americanisms fit, mm. then it's appropriate for the story and it's the right thing. I mean, it doesn't take away from the piece. It is a show that's set in a certain area that uses a certain language and vernacular. But you think the piece as a whole would translate to... Um america obviously if it was taken up by a theater over there because i've had this before where i've been contacted by um schools and they've asked to do my piece and said do you mind if we change the language slightly because obviously they're american high school students so i i'm a playwright who has my work produced internationally mm. and i have different versions based on where things are submitted and produced okay my opinion is it doesn't change the final piece, changing words to make it more accessible to an audience. Mm. And the use of French fancies. I don't know if you know what those are. <laughs> yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. So in all fairness, I am from New England. Mm. We also grew up on PBS. Yeah. You know, uh, like I'm a Whovian because PBS gave me Doctor Who. <laughs> Outside of just Pythonian humor we in new england were raised on old bbc comedies mm. so there's a lot of the stuff that the language that's in the shows yeah. that i don't see as foreign because we use the same terminology here if you have a, a uk playwright who writes using uk vernacular and you have uk actors don't change it it'll it's going to translate fine mm. i say the the central premise that struck me is that this player it's core is a very real conversation that many young men are still having to sit down and have with their parents but then flipped on its head so yeah he's, he's taken that kind of very real what can be a very difficult conversation and then comedically twisted it um which kind of which is what gives you the the kind of the the, the laughable moments yeah, exactly. It, well, it's changing the trope without changing the trope by presenting yeah. it in a different manner. Mm. Um, coming yeah. out is a very personal thing. Mm. Yeah, I, so it's a complicated conversation to begin with. Mm. It's not one that I've ever had to have. No. So I'd be looking at it not as an outsider, but as somebody adjacent to the conversations that my friends and loved ones have had to go through. Mm. So I can't bring a personal insight into that part of it no it's it's also a key uh, a key element for me was the generational uh gap not only between uh malcolm and um tom when they discuss get down discussing his and leslie's sexuality but also the way they approach their relationships because obviously malcolm and janet have been together for 
many many years and Tom and Liz are yeah. just starting out on their relationships and they get the way they talk about their relationships is very very different so yeah a different of, of it's a discussion about sexuality it's a discussion about um the generational gap and it's a discussion about relationships all of that in a very small space of time so my one big takeaway that I had from the entire thing mm. it's presented in a very casual chat over tea yeah it's less of a blow up as I, i've seen bigger arguments over what type of tires you put on cars <laughs> than is presented in the show um so it was really interesting to see it approached in that manner something that could have i mean obviously it's a comedy so it needs to be light mm. um but something that could have blown up into a much more dramatic scene yeah i think the fact that also it, the fact that it doesn't explode is what separates it from being almost an activist piece because the conversation is still there and you'll still have people walking away from the piece thinking about either as you say the conversations they've had to have or the conversations their friends have had to have but at the same time not being aggressively angry about it it neuters the anger and presents it as a different emotion yeah yeah so taking everything into account what's your final impression of the piece my final impression of the piece is that it was a surprising way to twist the narrative mm. to focus on a different part of the same element mm. you know by presenting it backwards <laughs> if you will yeah um it allowed chris to focus on another part of the narrative to make a point without actively going as an activist beast hmm. yeah i completely agree robert it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure uh having you with us thank you so much for joining us and sharing your expertise on what are a million and four fields <laughs> I yeah, thank you for allowing me to tangent. I uh sometimes get lost in my own train of thought. So <laughs> it, it was nice that we could bring it back on the rails. <laughs> not a problem at all. <laughs> it's been a great pleasure speaking to you. I had a blast anytime. That is the end of this episode. However, we will have another show for you in a fortnight's time where we'll have a piece by an American playwright. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes you've listened to on rss.com or Spotify, please pop onto Facebook and give us a follow or a like and share with friends and family who you think might be interested. In the meantime, though, I've been Rachel Feeney-Williams. This is Theatrical Shenanigans, bringing down the curtain and saying I hope you can join us next time. Theatrical Shenanigans was an RFW Scripts production with music written and produced by Chris Cody.